Hello and a warm welcome to join us on Search for Truth. Thanks for tuning in. It's a pleasure to have you with us. Now, today we have part six of our seven-week series on friendship. Today we have a different slant on the theme of friendship, but it's just as challenging. There are friendships that we should avoid at all costs. So let's now hear about a negative side to friendship from Brian. Thanks, John. Yes, today we turn our attention to thinking about what the Bible has to say about friendship with the world. The Apostle John says, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. We should first define what's meant by this. What are we not to love when it says, Don't love the world? Is it the scenery? Or the people? Or what? It can hardly be the people, since God himself loves the world in that sense. John chapter 3 and verse 16 makes that very clear when it says, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. Nor is it likely to be the physical world around us, lovingly itself created by God in the first place. But we don't, in fact, have to wait very long to find out what's meant. In the very next verse, the Apostle John clarifies what's meant by the command, Do not love the world, nor the things of the world. For he goes on to say, For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. This helps us to clarify what the world is that we're talking about. There are three things in that verse, and I should point out it's 1 John chapter 2 and verse 16, and those three things are the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. We could probably abbreviate them to greed, lust, and pride, the three great scourges which blight all our lives, sometimes with devastating effects. I suppose another way of describing this ungodly trio might be worldly appetites, worldly attractions, and worldly ambitions. How might a lover or friend of the world be taken up with greed or lust or pride? It seems like another apostle, James, can help us there when in chapter 4 of his Bible letter he asks, What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. You're envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. These believers were quarrelling and fighting with each other to the point of murder, and at the root of it all was lust and envy. They stopped at nothing, it seemed, to get for themselves what others had. How utterly tragic. That's the way of the world. The church is in the world, but the world is not supposed to be in the church. Small wonder James describes them as friends of the world and enemies of God. This misplaced affection for the world leads James to call them adulteresses. Their lives were marked by spiritual unfaithfulness to the God who loved them. It was happening again in the New Testament, just like it had in the Old Testament in the time of the prophet Hosea. The book of Hosea is the most shocking book in the Old Testament. Sometimes God would give a prophet a message to act out, 
but surely there was none as painful as the message given to Hosea to act out. Few people can imagine what it would be like to be married to a woman like Gomer. And yet this was what God asked his prophet Hosea to do, to marry Gomer. She was the kind of woman who would invite the attentions of other men. The ability to make a commitment would never be part of her character. She'd likely disappear for days at a time, and he'd not know where she was. Knowing he'd become the laughingstock of the town, Hosea went into the relationship with his eyes wide open, knowing in advance it had come to be characterised by infidelity. But the real question is not why God would ask Hosea to marry Gomer, but why God would commit to a people a nation he knew was going to prove unfaithful to him. By our way of thinking, God's love in that sense is unreasonable. God pursues sinners like he asked Hosea to pursue Gomer. Betrayed, God longs to have them back. Have you ever discovered you're far worse than you thought and more loved than you ever dreamt of? That's the message of the book of Hosea. But a second message that the life of Hosea teaches us is that God's love is tough love. Hosea never minimised the nature of the wrong Gomer had done to him. The pain was real and raw. His love had been betrayed. He didn't gloss over the situation. He took it seriously. And when Gomer insisted on being unfaithful to him, he let her go. He understood that it was to her own detriment. He knew what was ahead of her. She no longer wanted anything to do with him. So she'd no longer have his help. She was on her own. It was what she wanted, but she couldn't see the mistreatment that she was going to suffer. She'd end up being used and abused. She'd be called names by those who were supposed to love her. She'd be beaten and treated like an animal. There'd be many things that Hosea couldn't protect her from since she'd run away from him. She'd learn the lessons of life the hard way and live out the consequences of poor choices. Like Gomer, the Christians James was writing about were wasting their lives and love on other things and were yet to learn the hard way that God's way is best. So God's love is unreasonable and tough. But the third message the book of Hosea gives us is this, that God's love is unconditional. We often give up on people. Some even write others off or count them as dead when their love or trust has been betrayed. But God is different. In chapter 3 of the book of Hosea, Gomer's sin has worn her out and now she's stripped and being sold as a slave on the auction block. None of her former beauty remains. Perhaps she's even diseased. It may be that she's been sold by a house of prostitution or a slave owner who no longer finds her desirable. Whatever the case, Hosea does the unthinkable, which was the very thing God asked him to do. He buys her for himself. Apparently, she was not worth much to anyone at this point. They were just glad to get rid of her. In the beginning, she was very possibly a beautiful woman. The name Gomer means perfect, possibly a reference to her appearance and desirability. But now her beauty is gone, ruined through hard living. And no one will have her except one man. Hosea will make her his wife again, a living symbol of God's unconditional love for faithless Israel. The Lord said to Hosea, Go, show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. 
Hosea does the otherwise unthinkable. He buys her for himself for the regular price of a slave, part in kind, a living symbol of God's unconditional love for faithless Israel. It would have been one thing for Hosea to excuse a foolish, even sinful mistake by his wife, but she'd actually continued brazenly in her sin. She flaunted it. She mocked him and forgot everything he'd ever done for her. But God told him to buy her back out of slavery. God asked him to do this because it's what God does. Hosea was acting like God. God's love is unconditional, as well as tough and unreasonable. King David wrote in Psalm 139, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? The question is, why would we want to go away from God? Why would we want to run away from him? The answer is that it's part of who we are. It's our fallen nature to run from God. And it's God's nature to pursue us, even when we're at our worst. Remember that. Some New Testament believers at Philippi were like that. James would have called them adulteresses too, I'm sure. They were believers, but their lifestyle was as enemies of the cross of Christ. Here's what Paul says about them. Philippians 3 verse 18. For many walk, of whom I told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. Makes sad reading, doesn't it? Paul writes about their appetite and their glory. It was all shameful. Their sole focus was on the things of this world. They were enemies of God and of the cross of Christ, and were friends of the world, adulteresses in their two-timing lifestyle. What about you and me? Are we friends of the world? Remember, the very friendship of the world is enmity with God. Do we walk to its beat, look for its smiles, dress for its approval? Leave that to the double-minded who halt between two opinions and are too embarrassed to walk with Christ. Some say times have changed and Christians must use a different approach to win the world. But beware, beware of any excuse to live more in the flesh and avoid the reproach of the cross. The world's attitude to Christ should give us plenty incentive for not becoming a friend of the world and an enemy of the cross. As Christians, we want to be those to whom the Lord says, you are my friends. Pass away. If I can go.
Again, I hope you were challenged by Brian's talk today and it will make a positive difference to your Christian lifestyle. Now, there's a transcript booklet available for this series, which I'm sure you'll find helpful. And there's no charge. We don't share your details with anyone else. So you can send in confidence. If you'd like us to send you one or more copies, ask for the title Friendship. You can contact us by email or by post. And here's the address. Search for Truth, Church of God, Downing Drive, Leicester, LE5, 6LN, UK. The email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. Although, if you do use email, please make sure you give us your postal address so we can send you the booklets. Now, you can find some past programmes and helpful material on our website as well. Uh, just go to www.searchfortruth.org.uk. So, thank you for the privilege of your company again today. And I hope you can join us again next week for the final talk on friendship. But until then, it's our very best wishes from Brian, our Bible teacher, David, our studio technician, our singers and me, John. So goodbye for now and may God richly bless you. Oh, the joy of having